0: 1130 in the central time zone time for us to do our friday edition of krvn's midday program thank you so much for joining us wherever you are whatever you're doing we sure appreciate you being here jason jorgensen's here dave schroeder's here susan littlefield's here we got the whole gang to get more information to you about what we're going to be talking about here in the next couple hours let's start with susan
1: well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. First off, happy Friday, which means we're going to check in weather with Al Dutch or many wondering are we going to break some? heat records later today. Then at 1245, we'll hear from Clay Patton as he talks with Amanda Steffen. One year ago, was a kindergarten teacher in Idaho, now a professional meat cutter butcher in Mullen, Nebraska for Sandhills Beef Company. And then it continues our FNBO's Fridays in the Field. We find out more on that with Clay Patton. That's a midday on this Friday from the farm team.
0: Thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate it. Jason Jorgensen's in here. I know that you are contractually obligated to talk about uh, the MLB. That uh, (laughs) you know, it's uh, it is what it is.
2: Are you okay? I mean, you. It took a while.
0: Um, Some tranquilizers and things like that. But I'm good. No, you know what? They uh, they didn't have a pitching staff, and the Dodgers are really, really good.
2: If you need a moment, Dave and I are here for you.
0: Thanks, but, man. I, I appreciate you guys. Uh, very very helpful. Good to have uh, good teammates. But uh, <laughs> Dodgers move on. Uh, we'll talk uh, high school football. We got a lot going wow. on yes. around here. You know, I remember the day
2: when we used to just do one game a night. Really? That seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we'll have action over on 93.1 The River with Cozada looking to improve to 6-1 and against Minden. Whippets have not beaten Cozad in football since 2004. Is that Ten right? straight for the Haymakers. Mm. Now, there was a gap there when they did a play when Minden had some pretty good teams and Cozad was down. But yeah, Whippets haven't beaten Cozad in football since 2004. Uh, here on 880 KRVN, Arapahoe will be at home against Bertrand. On Cammie Country should be a good game. I think you'll have a good one in Brady with overton of so. Brady, the battle of the Eagles tonight. Yeah. If folks want to check out the Lexington game, you can actually watch that knb.tv. Also, you can listen at knb.com as uh, those folks will have that game. And if you are in the Holdridge area, Duster football as Holdridge takes on Broken Bow. That's a that's a lot there on multiple formats. We're we're pretty busy, <laughs> aren't we? We are. Uh, also we'll talk about how the state volleyball tournament in lincoln has now been pushed to a four-day event Uh, they'll split that up with a beginning on wednesday
3: november 4th
0: okay all right very good thank you jason i appreciate it let's turn it over to dave schroeder dave uh, stocks up today
3: they are they're rising as talks appear to be continuing on the start and stop drive on capitol hill to deliver more aid to the ailing economy Invited. In light of the uh, pandemic, the S&P 500 right now up 34 points, uh, and the Dow is up uh, 221 points right now. So uh, we're monitoring that. A spokesman for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, spoke late yesterday about the possibility of a comprehensive deal. And you wouldn't have thought that would have happened in the past week because... Trump said all talks were going to stop until after the election. Well, we just
0: don't know. All right, very good. Well, let's uh, continue talking with Clay Patton. Thank
3: you, Skondhand. Big report
4: day out. It is WASD day and grains turning sharply higher following that. So as I'm now talking with Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, of the report, what is feeding the bull to continue these prices higher?
5: Well, it's almost solely right now, having looked what I've looked at, because there's still a lot to digest on this report, Clay, since we got the grain stocks report and we have to match all that data up and, and the acreage base and everything like that and the yield numbers. But the biggest thing that stands out is the carryover level in soybeans going down to 290 million bushels. That is without a yield decline uh, that is with a little over a uh, 50 million bushel decline in beginning stocks, and so that's your September report coming through. Um, you do have a smaller harvested acreage number as well, going from 83 million down to 82.3. So USDA chose to take the harvested acres down, I'm guessing, because of the derecho issue that we faced and so that took your production number down along with the old crop stocks. We also saw a a slight increase, 75 million bushels in exports. That was probably expected, but the end end result was we went from 460 million bushel carryover down to 290 million. I think the uh, Bloomberg average trade guess was around 360, and I think the trade, by getting up to around 1070 before the report was probably pretty close to that Bloomberg estimate. So I think this is where the soybeans uh, did see the bull get fed. Corn, however, staying at that 2.16 billion bushel carryover level, right with what the trade was probably pricing in. And the wheat, it also came in probably second in terms of getting fed by the bull. We saw the yield actually decline by USDA uh, beginning stocks dropped as a result of those September crop uh, uh, stocks projections. So we're down to a sub-900 million bushel carryover. All of this in the midst of the outside markets really lighting up on talk that a fiscal stimulus bill is going to get done today.
4: As well, we're looking at all this. Earlier in the week, we were talking about wheat being that leader to the top side and was impressive to see wheat. That was kind of helping the corn and beans now. With really the bull being fed most in that soybean complex with those impressive stock numbers, can soybeans alone help lead this market up if it starts to lose the support of corn and wheat?
5: I don't think it can without the wheat's help because we did have some of this dialed in, I feel, as though, Clay, with the simple fact that the soybean yield expectations were probably going down. We didn't get that. We knew the harvested acres may be touched, and we, I think, certainly knew the stocks report was going to show us a a lower beginning stocks number. So I don't know if we have to really uh, address that, because the dollar is making new lows, making new weekly lows. In fact, the gold's shooting higher, and the crude oil's now turned positive. So again, this fiscal stimulus bill seems to be doing the trick in terms of helping the gold and the dollar support the wheat, and therefore the beans are supported.
4: Not seeing a lot of uh, fireworks over in the livestock side. Anything in the WASD that really stood out to you to maybe give some fundamental support to live cattle or lean hogs?
5: Haven't really gone through the uh, WASD for the livestock yet at this point, but I would say the biggest thing that we've seen in price reaction is that with the wheat and the beans going higher, the corn has not at all backed off, still up almost 8, 9 cents on the day. This, I think, has reignited the corn feeder spread. Feeders have been able to make some new lows as a result.
4: And again, if you'd like Mike's analysis of the WASD report, he's already sent a flash report giving you the first initial reactions of what happened, but once he goes through it and he goes through and he looks through all the specific data, you can be some of the first to receive that report. You do that by going to globalcomresearch.com and signing up for that two-week free trial of Mike's newsletter and in-depth analysis and analytical reports like for the WASD. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics.
0: Weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Time for us to take a look at how that weather is affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in studio with me here today, and boy, it's 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 uh, interesting to see the red digits up there on the old <laughs> radar here. As we move towards mid-October, we're looking at 80s. Could see some records today,
6: Paul. Yes, uh, some upper 80s to low 90s for much of the area today, which would be close to record territory. A lot of us would have to get into the low 90s to crack those records. So uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility for a few locations to see some record heat for today. We're already kind of on track for uh, like one of our warmest seven-day periods ever in the month of October this last week here. So uh, it's just a. Of course this time of year you know it's nothing really too unusual it's just weather the air just warms up very quickly during the day and then of course cools right. off quickly very much uh very quickly at night kind of like what they always have in the nebraska Panhandle, where a lot of people don't even have air conditioners
0: well there you go i guess that's true but again i i <laughs> still i'm still a proponent of uh changing the name of this season to layers because you've got to dress in layers because you just never know what's gonna happen
6: so. <laughs> exactly but right now we have temperatures for the most part low to mid 70s across the area we have had some upper 60s Uh, still prevalent from about Brokebo and Ord into portions of southwest Nebraska, but a lot of locations into the west from Ogallala into northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado, already seeing those temperatures warm into the low 80s. And that's thanks to some westerly downslope winds helping to warm things up there. We will see a wind shift to the north today, to the northwest actually, as a trough of low pressure moves through. But for the time being, we're underneath the dome of high pressure and near record highs into the upper 80s to low 90s once again expected for today. And we could actually see, feel some out, actual downright heat for today when those winds do turn to the northwest and start to become lighter in behind the passage of that trough of low pressure. Now, as far as the danger for fire today, winds will be the lightest in the areas that have the lowest humidity to avoid much of a fire threat. There may be a brief window for some elevated fire conditions with higher winds and lower humidity over central and eastern areas this afternoon. Some slightly cooler temperatures and higher humidity for tomorrow and Sunday should reduce the fire threat. The higher chances for critical fire weather conditions tomorrow look to be over northwest Kansas, northeast Colorado, and from Ogallala into the Panhandle where there is a fire weather watch. Now the weekend, not expect to be as warm, but it will still be about 15 degrees above average for this time of year. That's after a weak cold front drops south for tonight. A stronger cold front with a punch of some gusty northwest winds Sunday night, along with our first chance for some rain and thunderstorms in quite a while. The forecast models, though, continue to be pretty spotty in coverage. On the rain amounts and the coverage, the locations that do get some rain with that system look to be only likely to get a quarter of an inch of moisture. In behind that front, our temperatures will be near seasonal for Monday and Tuesday. Before we do see a brief spike into the 70s and near 80 on Wednesday, another cold front will drop those temperatures to slightly cooler than usual on Thursday. And by late next week, it should be cool enough for some frosty mornings for Friday through the weekend. And some freezing temperatures also a possibility. Temperatures look to fluctuate quite a bit in the long-term forecast. We'll see that brief jump to above-normal temperatures the middle of next week before it turns seasonal to slightly cooler than normal for late next week through October 22nd. The main brunt of the coolest air will be off to our east. Mainly dry weather will keep the harvest going below normal rainfall, very likely for Wednesday through the 22nd for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. Key weather factors driving market trade include improving chances for the late starting rainy season in central Brazil and continued dry conditions in primary wheat areas. Hurricane Delta will make landfall later today along the Louisiana coast, just miles from where Category 4 Hurricane Laura struck in late August. Hurricane Delta on track to bring heavy rain to crop areas of the Delta in the next five days, causing flooding and extensive harvest disruption. With damage to cotton and soybeans likely in the Midwest, this weekend's dry weather will continue to favor row crop harvest late in the weekend and early next week. Light rain in advance of a cold front will spread from the upper Midwest into the Northeast. Now the Southern Plains will be dry and warm, very warm over the next couple of weeks with soil moisture for wheat on the decline. Russian wheat eras will have more dryness through the next week. The loss of winter wheat acreage is expected due to drought, unfavorable conditions for seeding and establishing winter wheat in Russia. For central Brazil, increasing rain chances over the next seven days may be a sign of the start of the rainy season and encourage active soybean planting this year's rainy season more than two weeks late.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, our rainy season's been pretty late, too,
6: for that matter. Exactly. I, it's I been did. very quiet for rainy season <laughs> around here lately
0: hot uh dry and then a moment where it might rain spit on us a little bit and then back to dry and warm
6: exactly yeah it's looking uh very likely that we'll see below normal rainfall uh for in the long-term forecast and over the next seven days and uh that chance for rain on sunday night looks to be very brief and very spondy in coverage and yeah if you get a quarter of an inch of rain count yourself lucky
0: okay all right. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it, I guess. Uh, <laughs> where, where do you go to check
6: in on your weather? Weather page, krvn.com.
1: It's time again this week that we get to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters, back with you on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, over the past week, we have continued with the warm and dry weather for our harvesters. And to the point of being too dry for some of our uh, winter wheat planters, will that continue as we head into this weekend and next week?
7: Well, we do have a few days of this drying weather before we see a chance for precipitation. And I guess the uncertainty is, is how much will we receive. The GFS model has backed off somewhat in the amount of precipitation associated with the trough is expected to move out into the region as we get into Sunday afternoon and then carrying on through Monday morning. Uh, last week, of course, it was very aggressive with this precipitation event. It looked like we might even see some, um, invective outbreaks across eastern Nebraska. And as the we week we've seen them tail back on that precipitation. But overall, we got a funnel boundary that's going to, or excuse me, an upper air pattern that's going to basically get some uh, energy moving across the northern plains. That's going to allow somewhat uh, cooler weather to move in as we go into tomorrow. And as we, that'll drive us down about four or five degrees from our highs, although we'll, those highs will still be in the southern part of the state in the mid-80s most likely. We'll probably stay merely consistent with that across extreme southern Nebraska as we get into Sunday, but across northwest Nebraska, that trough will start moving through during the morning hours and progress such that we'll start to see that cooler air infiltrate in the northeast and north-central Nebraska as we get into the afternoon hours, and probably by the time we get into the evening, we'll see most of that colder air starting to move in in earnest into the southeast part of the state. Uh, The quantitative precipitation with this forecast right now looks like the best will be across northeast Nebraska. The most heaviest band will be across uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Minnesota. Quarter inch to maybe a half an inch if we can get some thunderstorm development. But most likely we're looking at a very light precipitation event unless this thing slows down. And at this time, it doesn't look like it's going to. So that's going to bring in that cooler air as we go into Monday. We're going to drop our temperatures back into the 60s. And we should see a rebound. Or at least a couple days, Monday, or excuse me, Tuesday and Wednesday, as we see a temporary ridging pattern starting to break back into the region. That'll bring us back up into the 70s to the possibly the lower 80s. As we get into Western Nebraska. And then we see that trough across the Great Lakes kind of deepen and broaden toward the West. And that looks like it's going to start to filter cooler air in as we get into the later half of next week with a fairly good push of cold air being advertised, at least from the GFS models, beginning into the next weekend the following week. So if that does come to fruition, then most areas that have not had their hard freeze will likely see that with this event, if it continues at its general pace. One thing we'll watch for is to see whether or not that cold air spreads far enough back toward the Rocky Mountains, that we can get some piece of energy along the front range of the Rocky Mountains to slide on the backside of that trough and maybe generate some upslope precipitation but after that, it looks like the ridge starts to return back into the region. We go into a warm pattern, although from the GFS model standpoint, they are trying to bring another trough in as we get into the 23rd to the 25th of the month. And At the same time, some tropical energy gets drawn in across the southern stream. And if those two can merge up, then as we get toward the end of the month, we need to really pay attention to this trough to see if it doesn't eat strengthen and deepen down into the lower Great Basin. And if that happens, then we'll probably see a fairly decent precipitation event developing somewhere within the Plains region to get toward the end of the month. And at this time of the year, when we say fairly decent, we start to look out for cold air coming in from Canada and, of course, those early fall snowstorms up in the northwestern Plains region.
1: Thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
8: It is time for Midday Sports, sponsored by Arrow Seat Company. Jason Jorgensen stepping in. Well, Jason, we have some uh, changes coming up for the NSAA State Volleyball Championships.
2: Yeah, they're going to make this a uh, four-day event now. All matches and all classes will be played at Pinnacle Bank Arena. The NSAA board voted yesterday to make those changes. As it stands now, Classes A, B, and C1 will have their first-round matches on Wednesday, November 4th. Classes C2, D1, and D2 will follow up on the 5th. All semifinals will now be played Friday, November 6th, with finals being played on November 7th. Uh, Our old buddy Stu Pospisil from the Omaha World Herald, he's kind of been... You know, pushing this wagon for quite a while, saying that the state games don't deserve to be played in high school venues in Lincoln. Maybe this is one of the good things to come out of the pandemic.
8: I don't see a downside for them moving all the games and matches to Pinnacle Bank Arena. We know it works, because they do that pretty much Friday and Saturday anyway. They split it up down the middle, and you can easily do it personally, I'm in all favor for this. Uh, you know, I'm not going to miss those uh, Lincoln East uh, uh, broadcasts.
2: <laughs> Lincoln High,
8: yeah. So this this is going to be good, and they have the room to do it. So why not?
2: And they need to do it. It'll spread people out with sure. social distancing yep. and all that. I, I bet they do the same thing with state wrestling coming up in Omaha in March. They'll mm-hmm. add a date to that too. But we'll see. High school football tonight. Cozad aims to improve to six and one as the Haymakers travel to Minden. Head coach Brian Cargill has really liked how his bunch has come together.
7: Right at this
9: moment, the uh, you know the one thing I'd say about these kids is they fully bought in uh, to everything that we sold them in. Uh, you know, and that's hard in this day and age to get. And these kids now understand. You know, we don't have a lot of all stars. We have kids that are just good, hard workers, good football players, and they work together well.
2: Menden's two and three, and coming off a surprisingly easy thirty-nine, nothing win over Holdridge. Haymakers have owned this series. They've won 10 in a row. Minden has not beaten Kozad in football since 2004. Kickoff is set for 7. We'll have it for you on 93.1 The River. Here on 880 KRVN. Tyler, I think you'll have a good one for Tran and Arapahoe.
8: I think so. Both teams love to run the football, so it's going to be uh, old-school kind of football. Eight-man football. Excited for it.
2: Yeah, Cammy Country tonight. Overton travels to Brady. Now you can catch the Lexington at Scott's Bluff game. You can actually watch that on KNEB.TV, or you can Listen at KNB dot com and in the Holdridge area on K U V R, Holdridge will take on Broken Bow. Concordia's football game with Dakota Wesleyan that won't happen due to COVID. That has now been postponed until November twenty first. Good luck playing that one in Mitchell, South Dakota, on that day. That yeah. <laughs> it won't be sunny and eighty that, that day.
8: That was my first thought as well when I saw that on Twitter. I am like November twenty first. You and I have been up there. We have been <laughs> uh, in uh, late uh, fall, and it is cold. Also,
2: uh, Wichita State men's basketball coach, Craig Marshall, he's under fire. He has confirmed the school is conducting an investigation. Made allegations he mistreated players. Former Wichita State forward Shaq Morris has told reporters he was punched twice by Marshall during an October 25th altercation, and a former player has backed that up. So So you're
8: saying it's not allowed? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Punching your, your students? Marshall might have
2: overstayed his... Stay there at Wichita State. He should have left uh, three, four years ago I when think the so too. was hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he had them in the Final Four. We'll see. Truth is probably mm. somewhere in between. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at com.
8: Thank you very much. <laughs>
6: woman
3: involved in a relationship with Bailey Boswell and Aubrey Trail around the time that Boswell and Trail is alleged to have killed Sidney Loof. Caitlin Brandel testified yesterday in the first-degree murder trial of Boswell being held in the Dawson County Courthouse in Lexington. After spending a couple of days at Boswell and Trail's Wilbur apartment, Brandel said Boswell took her home to Lincoln on the morning of November 14th, 2017. Nebraska Assistant Attorney General Sandra Allen questioned Brandel on the stand.
1: Did you leave it on the 14th when you were dropped off with um, plans for the next time you were going to see Bailey? Uh, She was supposed to pick me up that Thursday. Thursday, November 16th? Yes. What was the plans when you were going to get picked up on the 16th? Had they been made, what you were going to be
10: doing? I don't remember exactly what we were doing, but I was under the impression that we were going to go back to Wilbur.
1: So during the interim days, November 14th until you were supposed to get picked up on the 16th, did you continue to have communication with Bailey? We texted,
3: yeah. It was during that November 14th through 16th timeline that Trail and Bonswell is alleged to have killed and dismembered Louvre. On the 17th, Brandall accompanied Bonswell and Trail to a Council Bluffs, Iowa casino and hotel for a couple of days. Brandel said she never met Loof and had no knowledge of what happened to her. After Council Bluffs, the three traveled to Grand Island, Kearney, and Des Moines before returning to Council Bluffs, where Brandel was left off on November 25th. Brandel says she met Boswell through the dating app Tinder. On October 31st of 2017, Boswell used the name Kelsey on her Tinder profile. Authorities in eastern Nebraska say the driver of a cement mixing truck has died in a two-vehicle crash at Gretna. The Sarpy County Sheriff's Office says it happened just before noon yesterday. Investigators say a car driven by an 18-year-old Murdoch man turned left in front of the cement truck, which hit the car. The crash sent the truck into a ditch where it overturned, killing its driver, 58-year-old Gregory Brennan of Omaha. The driver of the car and his 68-year-old grandmother, who was his passenger, were taken to a hospital for treatment of injuries. Public schools in Grand Island are having a hard time finding substitute teachers to fill vacancies in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Grand Island schools are experiencing a rapid rise in teachers and staff having to quarantine after testing positive or being exposed to the virus. District Personnel Chief Wayne Stelk says about a quarter of the district's certified teaching staff have been sidelined due to COVID-related situations. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroer.
4: The story of how a young lady went from kindergarten teacher to a professional meat cutter and how it's helped tell the story of agriculture. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Teaching in agriculture may be two of the most noble professions anyone can undertake, and Amanda Stefan has taken on both careers. Stefan works for the Sandhills Beef Company in Mullen, Nebraska. If that name sounds familiar, you may remember a conversation I had with the owner of Sandhills Beef Company, Jacob Wingbaugh, on Consumer Choice back in early spring. Now let's get back to an amazing story at hand, and that's the per... Now let's get back to the amazing story at hand, and the best person to tell it is Amanda herself. So as we start our conversation, Amanda, tell us how you made the leap from teacher to meat cutter.
10: I'll confess that I hadn't planned on a career change, and I hadn't researched a career change in meat processing. The reason that this all came about is because Jacob Wingbach is a friend. We knew each other back in Annapolis. Um, We were classmates at the Naval Academy Academy. And that's how we knew each other. And just because of social media, because we have that available to us now, we reconnected recently and we started sharing stories back and forth. I was in Idaho teaching and I was teaching at a... Public charter school, a, a Waldorf-inspired public charter school, and he was running his company, and, and we were just exchanging stories, like stories um, going through some similar experiences. I listened. I ne- it never even was a thought in my mind that I wanted to go and cut meat and and learn the art of butchery until this past April when the fir- the first light bulb went off. Like, huh? I wonder if I could do this. All last fall and winter, he shared stories about his company and about the employees that he had, which... I think he had three employees about this time last year, three or four. And he just he would tell me about his work day and what he was doing and and it was so it was very hard for me to picture what it looked like, what what that lifestyle looked like. I was in the kindergarten classroom, my own class and living my life and and over in Idaho and because of the craziness in the world and then the coronavirus, everything all at once just kind of struck. Last March I found myself homebound teaching virtually as a kindergarten teacher my heart was breaking because of it um, I I it was extremely difficult and chatting with him his business took off as a result of the coronavirus and wh- following him on social media I saw some of the, a- the advertisements he posted for hiring and and looking for folks to come work for him because his business took off it was probably about April that thought dawned on me I could go and do this. I really could just go and do this and and, <laughs> and I remember the phone conversation. I I kind of like what do you think about this idea? What if I came out and worked for you? Your advertisement, you're looking for some motivated individuals. I'm homebound now. I can finish teaching virtually and I would love to have this adventure. So it started as a commitment for the summer um as a teacher to come out and work at his meat processing plant and and have this adventure with my family and it turned into something much more than that which that's where I am right now I'm not in the classroom I, I chose that intentionally <laughs> and I'm I'm working at Sandales Beef Company so that's the story
4: Amanda, I think out of anyone in the world, you may have the most unique story about seeing and working in a very important part of the agriculture industry. With that, did you have any experience or any thought before going to work at Sandhills Beef Company about how meat got onto your plate?
10: I have no background. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's part of the craziness of this story. I have no background in this other than what I learned over this past year in listening to our conversations. And because of that, because it interested me, just reading articles as they came up, reading what was going on in the world, and then seeing what happened when the pandemic hit and what happened at the grocery stores and the, the shelves, not only in the meat department and with the whole toilet paper fiasco, but just seeing humanity's response to what was going on around the world like it it kind of blew my mind so this is completely new to me the only even remotely relevant experience I've had is that my my family we raised our kids and we hunted harvested animals in Idaho to fill our freezer so as a family we processed our own animals very very small scale we had a small meat grinder and a small sausage stuffer and I don't think I ever ran a knife though I think my my son would have been six or seven when he started running a knife and boning out these animals but it wasn't even an interest of mine I was very content to, to stuff sausage for my family and and package the meat and put it in the freezer and then cook it for dinner but that's my my only experience with this
4: now that you have this experience Amanda would you say that your thoughts have changed on the meat industry or the meat packing industry and how that food gets from from the pasture to the plate?
10: Absolutely. I can't even tell you how much I've learned, like the depths of what goes into this industry, what goes into this field. With all my heart, I, my, I, I, it's changed me as a person and how I, I view the industry, how I view my food selections. I see now, I, or maybe the, the better term would be I'm more awake to what goes into it, circle of, of bringing in the animals and, and starting with what the ranchers bring to us and then the finished product which it goes back out to folks who are going to have beautiful meals that are packaged and then so that leaves a whole lot of space in between the animals the beef showing up to our plant and as a team harvesting them processing them wrapping them and then they go to the customers i see the whole process and it's mind-blowing i didn't really think much about it. It was very easy to go to the grocery store and just, oh, this looks good. This looks cheap. I can afford this this week. But I I didn't understand what this looks like for the producers, what it looks like for the consumers that are buying directly from the producers. I didn't understand that there's a whole nother component with larger corporations monopolizing this industry, which that part of it is hard to stomach. My eyes are wide open now. And there's so much more for me to learn and understand. But I'm grateful to, to be in the middle of it, in the thick of it right now.
4: That again is Amanda Stefan, who just started her adventure as a meat cutter with Sandhills Beef Company after being a kindergarten teacher. A story that shows the unknown path can lead to success if the traveler is willing to put in the work. Thanks for listening to the Rural Radio Network.
8: Time for the midday business report, and our own Dave Schroeder has now stepped in. And well, stocks—they uh, they're up a little bit, a little green, but they seem mixed. It seems like
3: yes, they are higher generally. On as talks appear to be continuing in the start and stop drive on Capitol Hill to deliver more aid to the ailing economy. At midday, the S and P was on pace to close out its best week since July, following a week-long run of mostly shaky trading. And despite the market's gains, trading underneath the surface continues to be unsettled, with energy stocks uh, went from helping to leading the market to slumping to the sharpest loss among the 11 sectors that make up the S&P 500. In Nebraska, Governor Pete Ricketts welcomed a report today from the Cato Institute that emphasizes Nebraska's fiscal strength, that's F-I-S-C-A-L, Cato's report, Uh, on America's governors gave Governor Ricketts fiscal policy an A, a top grade earned by only four of the nation's state uh, governors. The A grade from the Cato Institute represents a long legacy of fiscal responsibility and financial discipline, according to Ricketts. He says working with the legislature, they've been successfully carrying on the legacy of controlled spending and delivering property tax relief. He says they've also lowered costs for job creators in Nebraska, and he says his administration continues to be a good steward of people's hard-earned tax dollars. President Donald Trump's most powerful GOP ally in the Senate says Congress is unlikely, though, to deliver another big COVID-19 relief bill before the election. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says he doesn't see a deal coming together soon because the participants in the negotiations are elbowing for political advantage. And that's a check of the Business Report today. I'm Dave Schroeder. Thank you very much, Dave.
4: Welcome to another edition of Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank as we come to our final segment here at the West Central Research Extension and Education Center, located in North Platte, Nebraska, as we find out about the ending of the 2020 TAPS, or Testing Ag Performance Solutions, program. The same tour guide that's taken us through this entire program this year is UNL Extension Educator Chuck Burr. And Chuck, it's hard to believe when we started talking here, we just had buds on the trees. Now the colors are starting to change. The fields are ripening and getting ready. We talked in late July, right before August. Give us an update as to how the TAPS fields are progressing since then.
11: Most of our plots are at maturity. We're at black layer. We've got a few that haven't yet, so we're we're a little bit ways from harvest. But things have progressed nicely. Haven't had a lot of wind or any hail issues this year, so pretty fortunate to miss any weather issues. That's the interesting thing about the TAPS program is the fact that every participant gets
4: their own research plot. That means they pick their own variety, they make their own management decisions for that plot. So I'm sure you have quite the mix of short season and long season varieties. So once harvest does kick off, how is that going to work? Do you try to wait for a standard across the board or do you just try to pick the plots as they're ready?
11: So we'll pick a, a standard. We've told the participants we're going to pick 112 day corn for our UNL plots and we're going to harvest when that approaches 15.5% moisture. So we're probably a couple of weeks away from that yet. Uh, we're still finishing up with soybean harvest here and we've got to move to some dryland corn before we'll be ready to move into our TAPS uh, competition plots. One
4: thing UNL has been doing here recently is biomass sampling here of the plots. Walk us through what biomass sampling is and what you hope to be able to do with the data.
11: Yeah, so what we do with the biomass sample, obviously the mass or the weight of the material, so we'll know how much uh, plant material each plot produced. But we also test that for nitrates, uh, how much nitrogen is, is in the stock and the leaves and the grain. And uh, the main reason we do that is from an efficiency standpoint. You know, how much of the nitrogen the participants applied was actually taken up by the plant. If uh, they applied more than the plant could utilize it's still sitting in the soil profile That could be a waste. We get any off-season rainfall, that could leach in and end up in the groundwater. Also with our corn-soybean rotation, any uh, nitrogen left in the soil after corn, soybeans are a great scavenger. They're going to use that nitrogen first before they start producing their own. So really kind of a waste there and and maybe an environmental risk as well if we put on too much nitrogen. So the biomass samples uh, with the nitrate just lets producers know, you know, how much did the plant take up? Did they put on too much or not enough?
4: You know, talking about that nitrogen use, I would invite our listeners and our viewers here to actually review some of our previous conversations because you've talked about how some farmers and other participants have actually learned a lot about their nitrogen use through the TAPS program. One more key part about the TAPS program is the marketing aspect of it because participants, not only are they making their own farming management decisions, but they're also trying to be the most profitable farm within the TAPS program. And a key piece to that is marketing. Last year in the 2019 program, the ones that won were the ones that took a summer rally and were able to mar- market a large portion of their crop. That rally Rally has been delayed in 2020 now until the latter half of the year. What have did participants pull the trigger a little early? Have some of them really started to step up in this environment? What are the thoughts there?
11: It's been kind of fun to watch that over the years. You know, remembering back to the first year, about half of participants made money and half lost money, and most of that was due to marketing. And I think they realized. Seeing how other people market, our producers market, they say, well, maybe I start, better start paying attention to that. We really saw that the last 10 days to two weeks. you know, With the rally, we've had we've had 18 to 20 marketing contracts initiated by the participants, so they're more aware of those uh, rallies and, and taking advantage of those as well.
4: That's Chuck Burr, Nebraska Extension Educator, who's been our tour guide through the TAPS for testing ag performance solution fields for this year's Fridays in the Field.
1: Good afternoon, as we take a look at the closing grain futures, I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. John Payne joins us. He is senior marketing analyst for the Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. Wazzy report came out today. John, obviously seeing some definite higher numbers in the soybeans. What's your take on the report?
9: Very bullish on the bean side. Corn, you know, I'll give you give you. We're at two billion now, so the market certainly has a, I guess, a reason to price be priced where it is. Um, but the bean numbers are are tremendously tight now. And we've gone from very, very loose, you know, a year ago where we had a near-billion-bushel carryover with stocks used like 25%, and now you're going to be sub-10% all within the same calendar year. And it's just, that's something you don't see in a year where you have yield as good as it is. Um, So it's an interesting dynamic that we really have here. Um, You know, folks are asking me kind of what to do with soybeans. I know you've got a lot of folks who have to come to that decision here I think it's a heck of a lot easier to sell them now than to put them in the bin uh, and wait for a rally. So my thought would be, I got this from one of my buddies out in Columbus, Nebraska, actually come up with it, so I want to credit him, to just dump the beans here on the cash market and then look to re-own the July. The July's at about a 20, 25 cent carry, or inverse rather, so you're going to get a little cheaper price, and that's about the same you're going to pay for storage between now and you know the middle part of March. So by then, you'll know what South America and all the election risk will be, and maybe risk about 50, 60 cents on that. But uh, I think that bean prices are going to be somewhat firm here, at least through through the election now and, and until we figure out kind of how the South American crop goes. And we haven't even talked about currency. If the currency would flip on this somehow, where all of a sudden the U.S. dollar really sells off versus the Brazilian currency, that's where we get another leg up. And so yeah, you've got to be careful here. This is, this is now a pretty – it'll make a pretty interesting next six months for the soybean market.
1: Wondering what we're going to see come Monday gives you guys a chance to kind of digest everything. Look what happens weather-wise with the rains being talked about in South America and maybe some rains here in the Midwest. Come Monday, could we see any market surprises?
9: I think corn is the one. I mean, I just, I, if you listen to me every day, you know, I mean, you probably hate me now on the corn side. <laughs> I have been impressed. I. I you know, I mean, that's an all story. They knocked off another 25 or 50 million, million bushels. So it's small, but they're going to continue to come out. And I think the problem is you, the higher you trade, the higher you're going to see the, mark, the the rate of, of kind of rationing that's going to come in here, at least in the shorter run. So my thought would be, you know, don't even worry about owning corn here. If you've got to sell it, sell it. Uh, you know, 410 March looks pretty good here. You got a chance to get that today, uh, so, earlier.
1: so All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, John. John Payne's been joining us, Daniel's Ag Marketing. Remember, trading involves risk of loss, may not be suitable for all investors. Listen to the World Radio Network.
8: Thank you very much, Susan. That'll wrap up this Friday edition of Midday. If you missed anything, I want to go back and listen to any of our segments, not only from today, but from earlier this week you can listen to our midday podcast sponsored by Duveni Motors available on iTunes or KRVN